Welcome to Wide Receiver Wednesday. This is the podcast daily, and we are within one week of the start of spring camp, and we're running out of positions to get through, uh, but we're going to finish them up here this week on the offense, and today that means the wide receivers. That's Bill Landis and Jeremy Birmingham. I am Austin Ward, and Bill, the more I think about this group, and we know how well it's recruited, we know that Brian Hartline has been maximizing the development opportunities with these guys, we know that there's an opportunity for this passing attack to be really dangerous, but it just feels like March and April could be a lot more interesting for this group than maybe I would have thought. There's a spot available, which is fun, right? We know, we know there's at least one. Um, certainly, Emeka Abuka has one spoken for. It's probably reasonable to assume that Carnell Tate has one spoken for based off uh, kind of the separation we saw between him and kind of every other young player in the room last year. But that still leaves one that that still leaves the question of how often are they going to rotate? Um, so yeah, it's it's going to be an interesting position group to watch. Like finally, kind of, kind of it's been a couple of years I think since there's been really any kind of intrigue with this position group. And maybe there's some people who think there isn't any because they have a strong feeling on who's going to be that third receiver, and maybe that there isn't going to be any rotation. But but I'm looking at a room that I feel like is going to have at least four guys. Um, who are probably going to be pushing pretty hard for playing time with Emeka Ibuka, um, Carnell Tate, Brandon Ennis, and Jeremiah Smith. And then we'll see what else goes from there because there's there's certainly no short of ta- shortage of talent in the room. Yeah, I think one of the interesting things is how Chip Kelly's arrival impacts the deployment of the wide receivers. Um, because, Bill, we, you and I talked before, but like Chip Kelly in his offenses can run the same plays out of a 10 personnel as he can a 13 personnel. But how does he want to use these guys? Does it mean that there's more opportunity for them in the passing game as well? If you run out some four and maybe five wide receiver sets, which we haven't seen out of Ohio State in quite some time, but I hope that they do that because they're going to need to find ways to keep offenses or defenses off balance this year. And when you have guys that are similar, like Emeka Abuka and Brandon Ennis are, or like Carnell Tate and Jeremiah Smith are, I think you find ways to move them around and and rather than just saying, okay, here's the X, here's the Y, here's the H, and then we're done. Like you actually have uh, enough talent and enough um, differing skill sets, varying skill sets where you can put guys out there um, together. Like, I I don't know that Brandon Ennis is that much different than Emeka Buka, but if Emeka Buka is the slot guy, I, I don't think Brandon Ennis can play outside. So how does, how does a Mecca Buka fit outside or in? Like, there's a lot of bigger questions that Brian Hartline's going to have to figure out over these next few weeks. But the the nice thing is for a, a Mecca Buka, you don't have to worry about doing too much this spring and you just let these other guys duke it out. A large part of the intrigue is figuring out what Ohio State wants to do with a Mecca Buka. But if he doesn't have to have all that much workload in the spring, which I don't expect that he will, then what does that actually mean for Ohio, for Ohio State? Like, if they're not putting him out there and say, "What well, this is the slot spring," or you're going to work extensively outside of Mecca? Like, I don't know how much we'll learn about what Ohio State really intends to do there, and and that's fine too because Mecca Ibuka knows pretty much everything he could need to know about this offense, and uh, you know that means that we can shift all the spotlight to Jeremiah Smith in his first spring, Brandon Ennis getting you know some extensive run and an opportunity to to build more. Uh, than he did in his first year on campus, and Carnell Tate to see if he can have another standout spring. Of those three, I think, I I don't know. Well, let's just see. Who's the most intriguing of those three to watch for you, Bill? Um, 
I can't pick all of them. <laughs> well, there's three of us, so I don't know. Yeah, that no, much. that's true. Um, honestly, like I'll <clears throat> I'll say Brandon Innes to be honest. Like I I wonder if he can play outside a little bit. Like to Brevis point, like you're gonna have to move guys around. I think a little bit, including Emeka Abuka. Um, but I don't know. Like it's not like Brandon Innes is like five eight, right? He's he's about six foot. I think I think he can potentially play on the outside, right? And we've seen guys who are a little relatively sh- shorter, I guess, play on the outside at, o- at Ohio State. Um, Brandon Innes, to me, like in terms of build, reminds me a little bit of Jackson Smith and Jigba. And like I, Jackson Smith and Jigba certainly could have played on the outside. So I'm not saying that he's definitely going to, but I, I'm I'm wondering like just how much versatility there is with a guy like Brandon Innes who like played some high school quarterback. Like Chip Kelly isn't afraid to get his receivers involved in the run game, both as blockers and guys carrying the ball too. Like can, can Brandon Innes do any of that stuff? So um there's just a lot you can get into with him potentially. Uh, how creative are they going to get this spring? I don't know. And if they are creative, how much of that are they going to let us actually see? Maybe very little. Uh, but hopefully we'll get to see some of that because because I think, you know, Brandon's a guy that um, can be a bit of a gadget player if you wanted him to be. Yeah, but you can use a Mecca in those same same situations. That's the problem. Yeah. I don't know how you determine what their fit is. But of those three guys you mentioned, the one I'm most intrigued about is Jeremiah Smith, obviously, yeah. because he's the best receiver prospect in the country. He's the best receiver prospect I've seen in the last 15 years. He's a guy that size-wise is extremely unique at almost six foot four, 215 pounds. He's, he has college-ready build already. He's also extremely fast. He also can jump out of the gym. He also has incredible hands and is a great route runner. Can he block? I don't know. I don't know. That's the thing, right? We talked about it on Monday at Roosters. Can he do the little things that it's going to require to be a, a counted on trusted part of the offense, but at the same time, and this is a conversation we've had about other players in the past, when you're talking about a freshman who's coming in with this much hype and this much um, in terms of expectations, there is a deliverable from the Ohio State end that is required here, and that is Jeremiah Smith needs to have every opportunity to be on the field because this window to have him, especially now in the transfer portal NIL era, is small. And if you don't find a way to get him involved and to show him how he can be an integral part of the offense heading into 2024, I don't know that you should feel good about keeping him beyond 2024. And it sucks that we have to have those conversations. But we're getting the people worked up about that already. My (laughs) goodness. This is the world we live in, and everyone knows Mm -hmm. it. We don't need to pussyfoot around it. Like if if this kid is going to have to be on the field, if he's not, the conversations that are going to be coming from everyone in in at home, everyone in Florida is going to be, well, just come back, just come back. And I know it sucks, and I hate having to even bring it up, but like you have to put him on the field because that's the world we live in now. Like this is a first round pick, and you you're paying for a first round pick. You got to play him. I don't think that's true, Berm. You said the same thing last spring about Jelani Thurman. How many snaps did he get last fall? There is a there is a concerned uh, discernible difference between the best wide receiver prospect in the last fifteen years and Jelani Thurman. Okay, I mean, I understand your point, and you may well be right. I mean, hopefully, we don't have to find out about that exact scenario that you set out. But is was the decision he made solely about playing as a true freshman? No, of course not. Okay, uh, about did he get in? Did he get an NIL package to come to Ohio State? I would submit that he probably did. Okay, so if both if if both of those factors are correct, and he chose Brian Hartline despite probably other gobs of bags of cash being thrown at him from those teams in Florida, like 
couldn't Brian Hartline just say, look at the amount of snaps that Chris Olave got or Garrett Wilson or how long it took for some of these other guys? Like, I think that Jeremiah Smith is going to be in the top four rotation. I, and, and in which case, this hypothetical that we're playing out in a spring position preview is completely irrelevant. But mm-hmm. I think it, making this assumption that all of these guys have to play immediately as true freshmen or you're going to lose them just because of uh, NIL or the portal, like I think that's... A, premature, and B, maybe not reality. I agree that it's not all of them. I'm not saying that about Mylon Graham. Even if he was on campus now, I wouldn't have that conversation about Mylon Graham. He He's a little bit more of a guy that you know has the longer path to development. Jeremiah Smith has to be on the field, and I agree he'll be in that top four. So the question is, what we've seen out of the last few years with Brian Hartline's group is that there's a, a very – a solid group of three, and then that fourth and fifth guy is not in there that often. I think that there will be um, a bit of a test for Brian Hartline this year to see, are you willing to put this guy out there, even if he's not as equipped or as polished as a blocker as the other guys are? And I, and I think you, I think it's going to have to happen because that when you recruit this type of player, it is a different conversation than, and I hate to even say it, than just your average five-star because Jeremiah Smith is not your average five-star. So it's a different conversation. But uh, that's what makes him most intriguing to me is because I, I know that everyone sees him and, the way I do, which is, oh, my goodness, look at this complete you know freak at wide receiver. But we also understand the juxtaposition of what Brian Hartland requires out of those out of his guys to play. So now... Uh, these next six weeks for Jeremiah Smith are pretty instrumental because he has to prove that he can do those things. And I think that the fact that Emeka Buka likely won't be out there for a lot of the, the um, you know, sc- scrimmage type stuff and the, the seven on seven stuff is going to be really helpful for Jeremiah Smith to make sure he can prove to himself and to Brian Hartline that he can take that step. The dynamic for that rotation will also be a lot different in August and September because like, Obviously, the most difficult player to replace is Marvin Harrison Jr., but the one that in the rotation Brian Hartline counted on to do a lot of that dirty work was Julian Fleming. You know, he he was the best blocker. He had the physical presence and the willingness to do all that. Uh, that rec- that Brian Hartline wants to give that person a starting role and a bunch of reps. Like, if you look at this group, and Jeremiah Smith is just potentially learning how to do that. Brandon Ennis. Probably not the first person that springs to mind to go do some of that Julian Fleming stuff on the perimeter. That makes Carnell Tate even more important, I think, this spring. Uh, I think Ohio State, after the camp he had as a, a true freshman, thought he was going to play more in year one. There were some injury concerns in there that I think are probably more pressing than we realized and more pressing than whether or not he can block. But this will be the next step for him. And that's why I. Even if you guys hadn't taken the other two, I may have thrown Carnell Tate in there. If he's who we think is going to be the number two weapon alongside Emeka Ibuka, he's going to have to be an all-around threat at wide receiver. What's that look like heading into year two? Um, that first year throws a lot of challenges at you. He had Carnell Tate had to deal with them off the field as well, and and your heart went out to him, uh, obviously, for what um, he and his family had to deal with shortly before the season started. But I think that puts him in that spot where he's got to find that next gear that we saw glimpses of and makes him more important than I I think people realize this in March and April because we just assume that he's going to make a Marvin Harrison type jump because Marvin said he's ahead of where Marv was, which 
doesn't also do Carnell Tate any favors to have that sort of pressure heaped on him. But I mean, all of those guys in some form or fashion, they're going to have to. And Ohio State's a lot more unproven at wide receiver than they have been in quite some time. Very nice of Marvin to do that for Carnell on his <laughs> way out the door. It's like, hey, guys, yeah. I reset the standard of what it means to be an Ohio State receiver. And this guy, he's as good as I am. He's better. He's better. He works just as hard, if not more, than I do. Please put all of that pressure upon him. But I guess that's the nature of the room that Brian Hartline uh, has created here, right? What about this other group of receivers that like we never talk about? Jaden Ballard, Kojo Antwi, um, Keon Grays. Like they're getting sandwiched a little bit between Emeka Ibuka and all these young guys. Like I, I don't know. Like I'm not. I still think someone from that group could kind of emerge and carve out a role for themselves this spring. No, or at least like they better this spring, or else it's never going to happen. Yeah, and I think what's funny, Bill, is the guy you didn't mention of that group is probably the one most likely to do it, and that's Bryson Rogers because he transferred and then came back. Uh, I think that we, for all of the conversation around Carnell Tate last year, all of the the hype, all of the buzzwords, all of the the nice you know niceties from his teammates, Bryson Rogers got a lot of that stuff as well about how uh, good he was in, in fall camp and how uh, difficult he was to cover and the way he caught the ball. And I think he believed that he had a chance to go out and, and and kind of strike while the iron is hot when he had those press clippings in December and then found that the grass was not greener. And now, like, I'm curious. I think it's interesting to see how Brian Hartline and Devin Jordan really approach Bryson Rogers this spring because the, clearly the talent is there. And, and he was, was kind of the forgotten man in the class with Noah Rogers, who's now gone in Brandon Ennis and Carnell Tate. But uh, as far as like his high end wide receiver skill set, his ceiling is probably higher than Keon Gray's or Kojo Antwi. Um, not the burner that Jaden Ballard is, but he's probably a more complete wide receiver. He he more than anybody needs time in the weight room to see if he can actually become a, a physical blocker and, and handle the rigors of the Big Ten. But like the the little things that make a guy like a, a big time receiver target are are all there with Bryson Rogers. But did he? hurt himself considerably this offseason with his decision to go into the transfer portal. I think he probably did. Well, I don't, I don't think like if that was going to prove costly to him in terms of playing time, I, I, I think one Ohio State probably would have told him that and wouldn't have welcomed him back. And, and two, he would have been able to pick up on that. So I don't, it's an odd situation for sure, but I don't know. I don't know that he's hurt himself. I don't think that I would say, and I was like pretty impressed by him. And a little bit we got to see of him in practice, just like like moving around. Like he's super skinny, as you said, and that is certainly noticeable when you watch him. But like really fluid, explosive, quick, and like kind of long levered too. Like there's a lot there I think to like. He's he's a underrated probably recruit compared to what he you know what what he should have been. Um, but yeah, he's of of the four that we don't talk about hardly ever. Maybe he does have the best shot of doing something this spring. He's like he's, that's a good like under under the radar kind of got to kind of keep eyes on. I mean, I think Jaden Ballard is the closest to helping. And I also sure. think when when Berm is talking about guys who still need to be in the weight room, Jaden Ballard also still fits in that category, despite being several years into the program. It, it has not clicked for him, I think, the way we anticipated. It seems like a lot of a couple springs in a row. You just see him do some freaky things. Last year, it was the ball skills, catching punts that bounced off the ceiling and like, one-handed grabs and workouts and then you see that stuff and you get excited and then Brian Hartline sits down at a table and says oh 
you guys are falling for this trick here. It's a little okie doke, and he's not a complete receiver yet. And they don't the the part about spring that we sometimes forget is we don't we see more of it than we do the rest of the year. It was last year was about a third of spring camp, which seems like a good a good amount to make some opinions based out of. It's still not everything. And even the stuff that we see on those five days is a fraction of the playbook. And so, you know, I I always try to keep that in mind with my evaluations and and think about that in March and April. But the playing time that Jaden Bauer does or does not get in the season, which continued last year, is the surest sign that Ohio State hasn't felt like he is ready to be the all-around guy and be in this top four. So he's almost certainly number five. And even when they go in and start practice next Tuesday, he might even be in the top three, given how his knowledge of the playbook and his time in the program and maybe some more strides in winter workouts. But I don't, to me, that won't ensure that he's definitely going to play a lot because I've been through this process before, including with Jaden Boward specifically. Yeah, I don't know. He had a good pro day last year. We're <laughs> catching passes for CJ Stroud. I'm like, whoa, look at Jaden Ballard. He's ready to break out. And then, you know, like, like you said, it didn't really happen. Um, it is. You're turning heads of the NFL guys. They're like, who the hell is this guy? Yeah, I know. I know. Yeah. It, is, it is. Like to Burns' point earlier about, you know, being worried about guys leaving, it is mildly surprising to me that he's been around this long. It's not really cracked the rotation, but is still here trying to do it. Like, and I. I do give him some credit for that. Um, I suppose this is the best chance he's had to do it, right? He came in with a really talented class. Certainly there were guys ahead of him when he came in, came into the room as well. It's kind of wide open for him, especially if you look at like, if you think Emeka Ibuka is a starting slot receiver and, and the positions aren't, aren't this siloed anymore, but if Emeka Ibuka is a starting slot receiver and Carnell Tate is like your starting X receiver, then there's an opening there to be like the starting Z deep ball kind of guy. And that's what Jaden Ballard does. So um, the pathway is there. I'm in, I'm interested to see how he attacks it. I'm interested to see if he's done anything to become more of a leader in that room because it's kind of just a mecca buka. Like you lost Xavier Johnson out of there, a really important leadership piece. There, there's a void there that needs to be filled, and maybe it's filled by a sophomore like Carnell Tate. But I, I think if you're Ohio State, you would hope that it gets filled um, by Jaden Ballard helping out his classmate Emeka Buka and kind of leading that room along. Yeah, I, with Jaden, what what is the most like? telling to me is that he is very different uh, skill-wise than the other guys. I mean, he has the straight-line speed that Ohio State's been looking for, someone to be that deep threat, but be, it's just been an absolute lack of, of development in the other parts of his game that's held him back. And so, you know, you wonder if at some point they just find a niche for him and say, hey, this is when we're going to do this, but uh, now you have Jeremiah Smith, who's just as fast and so can do those things like it, in it and is a considerably bigger. I don't know if you guys saw the photo on Twitter last week of Jeremiah Smith standing next to Jaden Ballard. And it's like, uh, whoa, one of those guys is a freshman who just turned 18 and one is 21 year old. And it, it's not the way you'd expect. So um, it, I think that there is an opportunity for Jaden to be on the field, but he's going to have to be a little bit more dedicated and committed to the art of, of being a wide receiver than he has been. And, you know, to Austin's point, like how, how many off seasons do we have to see this or have these conversations before you you start going? Well, maybe it's not just going to click for this guy. But at the same time, it, he's heading into year four, and and there have been guys in the past, the Terry McLaurins, the Paris Campbells, the Johnny Dixons, where 
it didn't happen until that late in the process. So maybe it can happen for Jaden if the offense changes and gives him an opportunity to do what he does best as opposed to trying to make him be like everyone else. I was trying to think of any example from the last, well, dozen years that I've covered Ohio State of like a guy that they picked that was like, well, he's not a complete X position. He's not a complete receiver, whatever. And we're still going to carve out a package for him at Ohio State, and he's still going to play. And I, it just so rarely happens that they actually do that because they don't – I'm trying to figure out – They do it a little bit with Jamison Williams his freshman year. The, yeah, I was thinking about bit, right? like, deeper into the career, the closest I could come up with was Benjamin Victor, who like mm-hmm. seemed to have some of the same you know, delays in filling out his body. He wasn't ever going to – you know, he was a unique wide receiver, has some of the same length and speed um, that Jaden Bauer does. Like, but it, you could, I felt like I could more clearly see the progression for Benjamin Victor. And part of it was like the people ahead of him. And then by his senior season, it's like he still wasn't, a, I don't know, complete finished product, but like, well, he's got to be out on the field. He knows what he's doing and he does have a unique skill set. So your, your Jamison Williams package is probably a package. I don't, that's probably not the right word for it, but the role that he had and the way that Benjamin Victor's career played out. I think that's a Ben Vic trajectory to me is probably the best case scenario for Jaden Ballard. And I don't mean that as a slight, like Benjamin Victor was a very important player by the end of his career and an asset. He just wasn't an NFL superstar, which we shouldn't be holding every single wide receiver to that standard at Ohio State, even if multiple guys every single year fit the bill for that yeah. yeah that's the difference between now and when benjamin victor played is that the room is full of nfl superstars so if you're not yeah. one it's a little it's a little harder to break through i think yeah the ballard comparison that everyone has always tried to draw is to between him and devin smith and uh you know devin was a really good special teams player Jaden is as well so you can see some similarities there but devin was a much more physical wide receiver than Jaden, and he just happened to find the connection with Cardale that really allowed him to to shine in, in the deep game. But uh, Ohio State doesn't have a quarterback that is going to be that style of QB. So it, it's not really a situation where it's apples to apples when you can say, okay, Cardale, just go throw it 65 yards, 70 yards down the field and let Jaden run under it. You don't have that guy. You don't have Justin Fields with as you did with Jamison Williams. So it's it, it's hard to find where he fits into that rotation. Well, there's going to be competition. There always is at Ohio State uh, when it comes to. Ryan Graham's going to be really good. Let me be clear. Like, don't. Yeah, he's not. He's not here in the spring, right? Yeah, he won't get to Ohio State until end of May. But Mylon Graham is going to be a, a problem uh, for the Big Ten. And maybe not this year because he's not arriving until May. But that skill set. I mean, you're talking a, a very, very elevated wide receiver football IQ uh, with with Mylon Graham and. I will not be surprised if he ends up being that fifth guy by the time the season's over. Yeah, worth a, a good reminder there, Burn, that uh, we're not excluding him from the conversation because we don't think he's going to be a factor in August or September, just that he won't be in March or April when the Buckeyes start spring practice next Tuesday. But that will do it for a wide receiver Wednesday. Appreciate you all joining us on the podcast daily. For Bill and Burn, I'm Austin. We will talk to you later.